everyone. Uh, welcome to today's episode of the Mastering Retention podcast. Uh, today, I'm so excited to have Antonina Livingston uh, on with us. Uh, you know, she used to be at Wargaming and now works at Activision. I think the first time that I actually encountered you was on a YouTube sharing some other information on Live Ops. And I was like, wow, she is just brilliant and I have to get her on the podcast and here we are. And I'm, I'm just so excited to have, have you here. So well, thank um, you. I, thank you. I'd love for you to, you know, introduce yourself and, and just tell us a little bit about how you got into this uh, world of gaming. Thank you. And honestly, like I'm honored to be the first woman on this like podcast series. <laughs> so yeah. Um, yeah, I actually, I think you saw me first on the pocket gamer, uh, panel discussion. So we're talking about live ops. So that was really interesting. And actually I will be in another pocket gamer conference panel again, uh, this November. So welcome everyone to, <laughs> to join and listen and find me there. Yeah. About myself. So, um, I'm originally from Belarus. So hence my name is a little bit weird. <laughs> hard to pronounce um but uh honestly i could never imagine myself living in the us but right now i'm here uh for almost two years already um and yeah previously i used to work in wargaming and i used to live in uh, you know china uruguay or like many countries and i actually have more of a business background um and so my actually my first gaming company was wargaming and prior to that i was mostly um engaged in like startups you know and business and international relations all kinds of stuff like that but nevertheless i think it's also it's kind of inspiring for people um who are leading like pursuing another career right now that it's uh, never late to change and you know like mm -hmm. Gaming provides lots of opportunities, you know, you, even even though you're maybe not a developer, right? So you can still do something else and that that's kind of cool. Yeah. So, so tell me a little bit about Belarus. I don't really know too much about that. Like, you know, what <laughs> what is your favorite part about Belarus? <laughs> it's actually a very cool country. And, you know, like recently, um, I would say within the Past two years, uh, not talking about this year because it's a little bit crazy right now <laughs> what's going on there, but yep. let's not go there. <laughs> but uh, for the past few years, so actually the IT industry really developed there and um, Belarus had, uh, Minsk specifically, had a, a huge um, industrial park, they call it like that. So the park of uh, uh technological park let's put it like that so there are like many companies and startups and many of those actually um, cooperate with us on different like businesses for example like uh, we're gaming ipam um, transition and many other country uh, companies uh, that work with the us counterparts so it's really cool and you know um, i think that's why the country also became famous because of the you know talented people and developers and yeah the company that's kind of started rise very suddenly yeah 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 so you have you have uruguay and you yeah. have china china how, yeah how, how many languages can you speak so i, I was trying to count <laughs> <laughs> so yeah i used to study german i used to study spanish i speak chinese uh russian belarusian english so it's already six <laughs> but right now yeah like german and spanish i kind of can understand yeah. Um, but you know, it's like when you don't use it all the time, so it's like hard to, uh, speak yeah. again, but it's, uh, it's always there. It's always in my head, but like once I'm in that environment, right. So same with Chinese, you know, so for example, when I speak to people all the time, right. So of course it's like, uh, the like very good level, but once you're like always, um, you know, using some other languages, right. So it's kind of like, yep. uh, yeah, sleeps in your brain. <laughs> so. Oh, that's so cool. Do you think that 
knowing these different languages and having lived in these different places actually makes it easier for you to approach like live ops and content and, and translating things to, you know, cater to users in different locations? I would say definitely contributes to that. And, you know, I also, uh, like in my company right now, we work with uh, Chinese partners, right? So that's why it kind of like helps to understand the culture. Um, and also it helps to, um, let's say, explain something or like when they explain something right in Chinese to understand that or, you know, the documents that we are receiving, right? So I can also like just read. <laughs> so it's kind of like easier. And I would say it also helps to understand the market specifics as well. Um, so how different players, I would say, or how different people approach, you know, things in games. Let's put it like that. So, yeah, it's definitely helping. So I would say, you know, mastering a new language is like mastering a new culture. So that's why, yeah, mm. yeah, definitely helps. That's super cool. So I'm going to ask a fun question now. And I call this a fun <laughs> question because I think that everyone has a little bit of a different definition. So you started as a, said a, a senior live ops specialist, and now yeah. you kind of transitioned over to product management. Yeah. So what is, what does it mean for you to be a product manager? I've, I've heard like people vary well, like some will say like, you know, a product manager is kind of like a mini CEO over the game, or if you're in a really big game, you know, over your area of the game. And I've also heard people say, well, product manager could be a producer or it could be any of these other things. It just is kind of a, a nebulous title. Um, so I, I always like to ask people that actually have product management, you know, what do yeah. you actually do? Because it seems like it can flow so much depending on yeah. the company size and such. I think I would probably uh, then distinguish like a product director, product manager and producer, right? Because like mm -hmm. when you, when we talk about product director, right? So he kind of like manages uh, the product overall, right? So all the spheres of that, right? When we talk about the product managers, they can be multiple product management on their own fields, right? So for example, yeah. like product managers in like esports or, you know, um, I don't know, a live ops, for example, right? For us or uh, some, I don't know, features management, right? So it also can be product management. And then yeah. there's a producer and producer is the person who kind of makes sure that everything goes smoothly, right? So the game uh, passes all the releases, right? All the features are released, right? So kind of like more controlling all the processes that are in the game and uh, also like dealing with all the product managers and making their life easier, I would say like that. So yeah. at least uh, right now, I would say um, I kind of like understanding like that. Yeah, but product manager, you know, for example, for live ops, right? So it's uh, it's the person I would say who um, makes sure that you know the game not only runs smoothly, right, but provides the content to players all the time, right, and so provides the features that retain players in the game, or um, you know, probably plans something, you know, events or like you know content that we're gonna offer uh, that will actually help to boost some like business KPIs or our like you know the KPIs that we wanted to to achieve for the so that the event or something like that. So, yeah. No. How, how do you approach like thinking about feature planning or event planning in such a way that you do keep that retention? Because I, I often say retention rate of players is the most important metric in a game. So how, like, how do you approach, you know, okay, I need to add a new feature. You know, what, what feature do you actually think about designing and how do you approach that such that you do maintain that retention and engagement of your players? Yeah, I would say also like retention is one of those um, metrics, you know, that's really hard to influence, you know. <laughs> 
you, you know, for example, like the revenue rate, so it's like much easier to influence with like <clears throat> launching an offer or something like that. But retention is always like a very tricky thing, right? Because basically you need to create something that would be interesting to players to come back, right? And, uh, you know, actually I was, um, uh, the other day I was listening to one of the, also the, one of the podcasts and they were talking about retention and um, a person was speaking about the app that didn't do anything, just reminding you about some like social, um, like your posts in social networks that you posted, but every single day they would uh, make a, a different dinosaur, like different colors or something like that, like a mascot of that app. And so basically not really the content of the of the app made him come back to the game but that like mascot that he was wondering what's going to be different the next day right so sometimes it's like it's a very little things that you uh, maybe not even the event right but something that is running with this event right that would make players come back so for example uh, you know some some games use the login events, right? That would make players come back. Or like, for example, something that, you know, you offer player uh, that he's interested to come back the next day and maybe like claim or something, right? Or I don't know, the content that you release the next day and you kind of like tease and mm-hmm. make player come back. So in terms of features, right? And in terms of like feature planning, I would say you have to always look what's going on right now in the game and see where the loopholes, right? And so, for example, okay, right now we see that players stopped like using this area of the game or something like that, right? So what can be done to improve that, right? So what can be done to to make them uh, come back and check it? Um, different, you know, maybe like you will analyze your core gameplay, right? So what, like maybe at certain stage, players just like get bored and leave the game, right? So then yeah. you will do something towards that specific stage, right? Um, or for example, they can be also like, when the game starts be very monotonous, right? So you're you're getting bored. Mm-hmm. And so you also need to maybe like change everything entirely, right? And provide some like completely different and drastically different event for them uh, so that they would be interesting to come back. So it really depends on like which point, which area, right? And like where are we looking at, yeah. So it sounds like a lot of it starts with the data and really understanding, you know, what your players are doing in your game, how they're consuming it, and then kind of planning from there. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah, One time I heard uh, someone say something that I really liked, which is if you can answer these three questions, your retention rate is probably going to be pretty good. Um, And the first one is, what do your players want to be doing a day from now? What do your players want to be doing a week from now? And the third one is a month from now. Um, And so it's just like really understanding your players, all those loopholes, being able to talk to them and just like understand like, what are they trying to achieve? And then giving them ways to actually like work towards those goals, which I thought was super cool. It's actually true. It's true. And then, you know, like basically it also kind of reflects, you know, how we also plan, you know, for live ops, right. And how we plan for the product for like future updates or something, right. To develop, because we're constantly thinking of like, okay, what's going to happen the next month? What's going to happen? Like, the, uh, you know, next year or something like that. Right. So that's, yeah, that's definitely what you have to think about. Yeah, I always think it's uh, interesting when I try to schedule a meeting with someone that's, you know, actively doing live ops and they're like, well, I, I 
probably am going to be free that time, but you know, you never know what's going to happen on any given day. So, you know, even though you've got this like intense live ops calendar, that's got everything planned out, it seems like every day you're checking on the metrics and figuring out like, do I need to change things or add things or, or do all this stuff? Uh, which is just kind of crazy, I think, because yeah. you're, you're just always on when you're doing live ops. Yeah. And I would say you're lucky if you have time to check the metrics every day. <laughs> 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 because honestly, like, yeah, uh, I think the live ops is like super crazy in terms of how intense it is. Um, and like once, you know, the game hits the market, it's like live ops never sleeps. It's 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 honestly it's true uh, because the game is always running and there are always things going on. And they're like, yeah, <laughs> every day there is something new. Right. So but that's a, that's I think that's the most exciting part of that. So uh, we're never bored. So there is always something to do. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, definitely. But I also think, you know, and, and this is something that's, you know, near and dear to my heart, which is the concept of burnout, you know, especially on the live ops team when you're, you know, going 24 seven, like, you know, it could be a holiday and, you know, you're at you yeah. know Thanksgiving with the family and you get a call up and you got to go and, you know, help your players or something. And so how do you, and like your team, like, how do you manage that burnout such that, you know, people do get those times to, you know, relax and are, because obviously, you know, having yeah. someone that's, it usually takes like a, well, like a year to actually learn the game and, and how to put out those things. So, you know, if you burn out a year and a half in, that's not too useful. So how do you, how do you manage that? Um, first, like I always travel with my laptop. <laughs> <laughs> I had this crazy case when I had to like uh, fix something sitting at the airport, you know, like <laughs> Detroit or something, <laughs> waiting for my next flight. So it happens. So you have to be really like prepared for that. Um, yeah, as the burnout, it's honestly, it's a serious thing because like yeah, when you work in this crazy schedule, right? So and it's like, as you're saying, you know, and, and as I just mentioned, right? So I had to like travel with the laptop. It's not, it's not normal, I would say like that. But um, at the same time, I would say with um, our team, so what we're trying to do is like when you actually feel you need some time off, just, you know, tell your manager about that. Right. So I need the day off. That's it. So I need to relax. Try to also like at the weekend, I'm trying not to check my emails and I'm trying not to like really um, <laughs> start my computer because <laughs> I will be like, you know, I start reading emails and everything. I start like doing something. So I'll try to like not to switch it on entirely. Um, and then also, um, I think it's important to, as you know, when you're a manager, right? So it's important to delegate and to make sure that the processes is set up in the way that, you know, your team is always like knows what to do and everything is done on time, right? So that's kind of like, it's important to have this visibility, transparency, right? And also like the process that it's like oh, well set up. That's important. That's great. Yeah. yeah. And I know, you know, I was looking at your LinkedIn before this um, and I was looking at all the things that you did with Wargaming, which is like really extensive too. I was pretty impressed. But one of the things that jumped out to me is you, you mentioned you kind of slashed the issues handling time by like 70% or something like that. Do you think that, you know, that can kind of help with burnout too? Like if you guys are able to spend more time, like reducing things that happen from like a crash perspective or like events that go wrong so that, you know, are there processes that you found over time to help with things like that so that there are fewer, you know, airport pull out the laptop situations? 
Yeah, I would say, you know, first of all, is as I mentioned, you know, the processes that you have to like set up, it takes time, but at the same time, you know, like when you actually have the process set up, it makes it easier. Um, and then also in terms of, you know, let's say when we're setting up the events. So um, right now we're trying to also like uh, do it far in advance to make sure, you know, everything is tested, right? And everything is like double tested somehow <laughs> sometimes, <laughs> right? So, and make sure that... Um, everything is correct, but nevertheless, they, they can be some situations that, you know, like something has slipped or something like that. Um, we're all humans and, you know, like human factor, it's, <laughs> it can happen. But at the same time, I would say um, when, again, like when there is a process, right? So it's easier to follow that process and it's easier to follow up the, you know, the milestones, for example, right? What needs to be done at certain dates. So that's kind of like what I would I think what I would recommend and at the same time, yeah, we're also trying to plan as much, you know, as we can in advance. It's hard to do sometimes. So they're always, you know, very intense work. And uh, I always tell my team as well, it's like, you know, when you double check, triple check, right? So, <laughs> yes, it can be, yeah, like, like little, little things, they can happen. And so... You know, this also, our work is very um, public. So every little like misspelling of the word or something mm -hmm. like that, right? So we'll be on Reddit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, like, yeah, it's, it's so that's why it's also very stressful. And, you know, we just uh, talked about the burnout. So I think it's also necessary to um, give yourself a time to, like, when you do something to focus, verify, check. And then maybe, you know, like relax and come back to that again and probably like verify again. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, you know, it's just like if uh, let's say we also have the uh, established process of like what's uh, what's done today, tomorrow, the day after. Right. So then it makes it easier also because it's more like a processed work, I would say like that. So, yeah, that's great. <laughs> yeah. All right. What, what kind of hobbies do you do to de-stress after work or outside of work? Are you a gamer um, as well? I do play games. Um, and also I'm a big fan of fitness. So I do like lots of exercising. So it's you know, like nice. even today in the morning. So <laughs> I had first my, yeah, I need to do like my usual morning routine is like, I need to do my yoga. I need to exercise, you know? So it's kind of like, <laughs> yeah, keeps me, um, fit and also like keep, uh, helps me to de-stress. Um, I do play the guitar. Um, and you know, sometimes it's also kind of like when I'm in the mood, so I can, <laughs> I can, uh, sing a song or something like that. And then I also found that it's very, it's necessary, you know, especially when we work from home right now. So it's necessary to just go for a little walk, you know, for 20 minutes, half an hour, right. Every day, it's really helpful to just freshen your mind. Right. And so kind of like change the scenery and have a fresh start. So yeah, that's what I'd recommend for sure. I, I love your hobbies. We're actually oddly similar. I, I love to get up and, and hit the gym and work out, you know, every morning at like four or five in the morning. And I also enjoy playing uh, <laughs> the guitar and singing a song. Nice, here nice, nice. I unfortunately live in Wisconsin, so it's it's snowed like once or twice here already. So it's getting a little cold for the walks outside, but you know, still still can make it work. Just have to bundle up a little bit more. Yeah. So I love it. Yeah, I kind of miss snow, you know. So in LA, <laughs> it hasn't been raining since what March, I think, or April. So yeah. We're looking forward to some cold weather. 
I remember the first time I went out to San Francisco um, and I had this like picture of like California beauty and it was like in March, I think it might've been for like a GDC or something like that. And I got out there and it was kind of rainy and I don't know, forties or fifties or so, which was great. Like it was way better than Wisconsin, but it still wasn't quite the California dream. And they're like, Oh, you actually need to go down to LA for that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I would say, um, I actually first, when I moved to us, so I moved to Ohio, um, and, uh, because my husband was from there. And so I spent some time, you know, in the Midwest as well. And kind of <laughs> like, yeah, um, very familiar with the culture there too. And then when we moved to LA, so it was, yeah, it was a very drastic change because, you know, it's always summer and sometimes you like you're losing track of what days it is, like what, what season it is. So yeah. Yeah. But, um, um, yeah, from Wisconsin, he actually ordered the Kringles. If you know, that's the famous dessert. So yeah, it's actually yeah. very good. So <laughs> whenever like Wisconsin, I'm like, oh, cheese and Kringles. Yeah, I know it. <laughs> yeah, but I haven't been there yet. So no. you should you should come out. It's great yeah. during like the spring and summer. And yeah, it's not too bad during winter if you stay inside. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Makes you play games, you know, so it's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah. So one of the things that I was also glancing at, you know, around work gaming was that, you know, you shifted to starting to do regional specific content. Um, mm-hmm. And this is something that I've been really fascinated with as an idea. And I don't know if it would work in every game. And I feel like it might require a large team. But, you know, from the player perspective, you know, having events that are like specific to your country and your holidays and like everything that you are all about. I feel like that would just make me connect so much more to the game than if it's, especially if I'm living overseas and it's all like us based holidays or something like that, that doesn't really feel that personal to me. Um, but I would love to just learn more, like what does a, a regional specific content live ops type of a thing look like if someone ever wanted to approach that in their own game? Yeah. So I would say, um, there are, you know, the major difference, for example, when you have the one game with like, okay, different servers, right? But it's still one game environment. And if let's say your game is different, you know, on, in different regions, right? So for example, like a different, I don't know, maybe a different publisher or something like that, right? So they, mm. they can be like uh, two different things because it kind of, mm, it determines what you can do in your game. So mm. let's say if you have a one game for the whole world, Right. And so, for example, you decided to like launch event for, you know, in um, CIS, for example, right in, in Russia. So uh, they do celebrate the uh, Victory Day in May. And that's like one of the biggest holidays. Right. So that's why you need to make sure that you um, have some content right for that. While, you know, maybe for like other regions, it's not going to be really relevant. But if you run that event in one region, right? So at some point you need to run the this content in the different region as well, right? Because then the players will feel like, oh my God, like we, we don't have it, right? So yeah. So, or for example, you're running the event through all the regions, but you do the marketing in one region specifically, right? Because it's something important to them, mm-hmm. right? So for example, yeah, like the 4th of July, that is like US holiday, right? So um, this content may be also interesting to like other regions, right? But probably you're going to spend more like UA in marketing in uh, US, right? So, and the other 
example, when let's say your game has different clients, uh, right? So they're released by different publishers, for example, in different regions. So yeah. this gives you a little bit like more opportunities of like having completely different game in terms of features, for example, right? So for example, your Asian games, your Asian like uh, versions <laughs> probably yeah. will have like more gacha elements in them, right? Uh, and probably UI even will be a little bit different. Because, you know, also like if we talk about regional differences, so um, if you look at like Asian games and if you look at uh, Western games, right? So there are like differences even in when you enter the game, what do you see, right? So for example, Asian games, they prefer more like everything is running on your screen. So there will be like chat going on, right? So there will be like this event, that event. So it's kind of like where to go, like what to do, right? But they're like, they're very quick at like, you know, clicking things and they, they love it, right? While if you have the same UI in the West, so it's going to be like, uh, okay, what the hell is going on in the game? <laughs> like, right. So <laughs> we want to provide like a more clear focus of players, what to do at a certain day, for example. Right. So today, like, here's like, try this. Right. So that's also the difference. And I think, again, it's like, it really depends how you actually publish your game. Right. So it's one game for all the regions, right. Or it's like, let's say different versions in, in different regions. So um, for example, yeah, like we had a world of things blitz, the title that I worked for. And so uh, for example, it's Chinese version, right, was a little bit like slightly different, you know, from the global, right, because it was its own server. And at the same time, we could also implement the like a little bit different features or like run events at different times, right, because it was independent server there. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of like, I think the <laughs> the difference. Yeah. <laughs> do you typically see, at least if you have different servers, do you typically see like different teams managing each version of the game kind of a thing as well? Not necessarily. You know, it depends on the, of course, the size of the game, right? And the size of the event. Uh, so for example, you know, sometimes again, like if we talk to scenario one, when you have like one game uh, with just different servers, right? So one team can control all the servers, but let's say maybe you will contact your like office in like other country or something or maybe like your uh okay if it's one team right so they will just like spend more ui budget or like spend more marketing budget right on that specific region to promote this specific activity mm -hmm. that that what can happen you know and sense. yeah and also i would say you know in terms of marketing right so it also very it also varies through the regions because something that will work for japan right uh, will seem awkward in europe or u.s so, and I'm like, I've witnessed that and something that I, I would think like, what is that? Like, it's like psychedelic, <laughs> but actually it worked for Japan. Right. And I'm like, okay, so that's the culture and it's, it's different, but at the same time, it's important to like, um, there was a very good book. Actually, I also read, um, read about the like marketing languages basically. So there are like certain words, you know, that kind of like, um, describe the cultures and mm -hmm. even like the wording that you use for like different regions can be also different, right? So for example, if you use like more like hero in like, um, I, I'm just giving the example, if you use like a hero <laughs> in Europe, right? So um, maybe in um, um, like Asia, you will use something like a friend, right? So, or some different messaging that you're going to send for the same campaign. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. It's it's called like uh, it's like uh, local localization, right? And the good example, for example, um, example for example, yes, yeah. so <laughs> the good uh, the good case, um, let's say Starbucks in China. So uh, here, Starbucks, they're all standard, right? So mm -hmm. they just have uh, coffees and uh, some shakes, right? But if you go to China, so they have these uh, different mixes that uh, here, like. <laughs> 
buyers would think like, what is that? Like, what is the weird combination of like, <laughs> um, I don't know, uh, what do they have? Like peach or something there. Yeah. Like very, very different. And mm-hmm. even the whole atmosphere is a little bit different, you know, the cakes that they sell. Right. So mm-hmm. th- this is a good example of that. Or for example, we had the McDonald's in Russia that could sell the buns with the rye bread, you know, so localization, mm-hmm. same yeah. works for games. So, yeah. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it, it kind of reminds me, and it was one of these digital conferences this year. I don't remember which one, but it was uh, somebody from Riot Games was talking about something that they did where they took a little bit more time to study the colors and how they are, you know, uh, can affect skins and such, because uh, that's where they make most of their money is skins for new yeah. champions. And uh, they were originally planning on doing like, it was kind of like a red skin or something. And they did some more research and they learned that I think it was in China that that color really didn't vibe well with them. And after some iterations, they decided to release it with like a gold skin and it performed like a thousand times better than, you know, any of their other skins that they'd released and stuff. And so just finding exactly how to like connect with those, you know, audiences, is, yeah. Is super yeah. Powerful. Yeah. Even to like, yeah, to the color scheme, basically, you know, it's like, yeah, the skins <laughs> there, they have like different popularity, but it's a fun thing because, you know, like, um, we're also like receiving some, uh, you know, reports or something uh, from China. Right. And like negative things they put in green and, um, something positive they put in red. Right. <laughs> well, for us, it's just like, just vice right. versa. So this is also a cultural thing. Yeah. <laughs> That's super fascinating. Yeah. So I remember when you talked at the Poker Gamer Conference, you said something where about live ops. You basically defined it as there's three core pillars. There's operations, analytics, and planning. I'd love for you to go into a little bit more depth about like what are those different you know, pillars look like and what kind of activities go on in each of them. You know, imagine I have a new game that's being successful and I don't have any sort of live ops going in and I want to start, you know, adding something in, like, what does this actually mean? Like, what are things that I might need to do? Yeah, I would say, um, you know, when I define those three pillars, right? So I would say they're more for like the game that is already on the market, right? <laughs> because if you're just launching the game, I would first recommend to maybe think about the tools that you're going to need uh, to provide your live ops team, right? To actually operate the game. So that's also kind of like the things at the beginning. But if we talk about the game that, let's say, already hit the market, um, so I kind of look at it as a loop, you know, because uh, you can actually start from any point, you know, you can start from analytics or you can start from planning, right. Or just like directly to like operating basically, <laughs> which I don't recommend, but, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> but um, let's put it like that. So right now, if you, if you start with planning, right. So you plan a f- uh, feature or you plan an event, you put certain like KPIs that you want to achieve, whether it's like, okay, I want to increase the hours per users. I want to increase the revenue or I want to increase the DAU, for example. Right. Then you operate, you implement that feature, and then you start to analyze it, right? So, and you can analyze it on the go, or you can analyze it after the after the fact, after this thing happened, right? And see what I can do uh, differently, and then you start planning again. Or, you know, that's what we do actually. We work at all these three pillars simultaneously, right? Because when we're planning one season, right? So we already operate another th- season, and we analyzing the previous season right and it's always like that so it's always kind of like you know <laughs> and also like we're planned like far ahead what's going to happen um in like six months from now or something like that so yeah but that's that's definitely um 
I think that's how uh, you can look at uh, the live ops work in general, right? If you don't know what like what the team is doing, um, because it's important to look in your data, right? It's important to plan ahead and it's important to execute like I would say in the normal pace and not like, you know, <laughs> have it like super intense because then the um, the number of mistakes or like errors can actually increase. So, yeah. Yeah. So essentially, if I am wanting to push out a live ops event, one of the things that I should do is to actually have like a KPI beforehand to say, okay, this is what I expect this event to do and to improve. And then you can actually analyze that. I would say yes, this is important because, you know, otherwise I would say that's a good um, question. You know, we ask inside our team, it's like, what is the business value of that? Right. So why are we doing these things? Because if there is no value, right. So we shouldn't do it. So that's (laughs) simple. Right. And so for the events, I would say they should be at least a certain, you know, um, not exact, for example, KPI or something like that. Right. As I mentioned, like uh, HP or like DAU. Right. But you can, for example, say like, okay, we're doing this to engage these these players, right? And so here's what the events we're providing. And you you don't even have to say like, okay, we expect the retention to go uh, to this level or something like that, right? No, but you kind of expect the DAU to be on this, like on this level, right? Or for example, you can see where you, ha- you will have the spikes of uh, uh, engagement on certain day and when you're going to see the drop. And if you see the mm-hmm. drop, okay, here probably we'll need to add something else, right? To keep the players engaged. So that's kind of the thing. Or for example, if you plan your offers, right? So like what offers will be in the game. So you don't have to like slot everything into one day, right? But rather look at your calendar and say like, okay, so probably here's like the cadence that we're going to do that, right? And then, okay, here's the holiday. So here's the offers for the holidays, right? And then maybe also plan how long players will be engaging with those things. Mm. So. Yeah, that's, that's, I think, uh, at least you have to plan these things, right? So, and then, yeah, like if you can plan to, okay, uh, the exact things, uh, that's even like better. <laughs> yeah. Would you say it's important to think about player archetypes? So um, something that I've found is even when I'm playing a game with like three or four friends, like typically we'll have different things about the game that we enjoy. Like maybe my buddy Jim likes to collect stuff and I just like to rob the merchants and somebody else likes to, you know, really engage in the story and stuff. But like, do you try to plan like, okay, you know, these are our five different player archetypes. Like let's try to have events that cater to each of those different player personas types of things. Um, Yes, I would say we definitely use uh, some certain, you know, segmentation, right? Because it, you definitely need to understand who's your player. So like player portrait, as usually said in like many game <laughs> conferences, right? Or something. So you need to, yeah, you need to understand who is your player, right? And what's like what your player likes about the game and what they do in the game. And it really depends on the game, right? For example, if you have this like um, uh, open world game or something, right? And you see some players, okay, go to like a very... Um, I don't know, like random places and they're just explore the game, right? So yeah, probably they need something to explore and probably you need to put something there for them to find it, right? Like Easter eggs or something like that. Some players, they can be just achievers. They just want to accomplish everything, right? So you need to put this like clear goal for them to accomplish. Some players, they can be just like, you know, uh, like to kill. And so for them, it's like, it's important to just, you know, kill, collect, I don't know, experience or something, right? And like climb the leaderboard or something, right? They want to like show that they actually 
actually like uh, achieve that. And then there are also players who just like to play together, right? So it's like the social aspect of that. And there are also many cases when players actually just uh, go from one segment to another, right? And then you can also segment your players, for example, on how much time they spend in the game, right? So for example, the same achiever, killer, like explorer, right? So they can spend the same uh, amount of time in the game. And so they will be already like a cohort, right? That like yeah. um, actively engaged players, let's put it like that. And then, yeah, there will be players who are like, okay, they don't play that much, but they they spend a lot, right? So, uh, or like they both, uh, then we come to this segmentation of like whales, dolphins, <laughs> and minnows, right? So uh, there are many, many aspects, right? And it just depends on how do you like, how do you prefer to segment your game and what's more suitable for your game, right? Whether it's like segmentation on your uh, behavior or whether it's like a segmentation based on like the time that you spend in the game and the, for example, mm -hmm. how much you, um, you donate to the game, right? How much you invest both like money and time basically. And so um, then you can, um, then you can actually plan the different activities to them, right? So if uh, you know that users are really uh, want to achieve things, so you have to provide the challenge, I would say difficult enough so that they can achieve it, right? But not, for example, not in one day. Yeah. And at the same time, you also need to make sure that the difficulty, right, is so the event is difficult enough so that the players who are not that engaged can also participate in that, right? Mm. So <laughs> it's kind of <laughs> like it's it's already like you know, live ops. It's at some point it's also game design, right? Because besides like um, thinking about the segments, you also need to think of like how difficult it will be for players to achieve that or that thing right or mm -hmm. like for example okay this event will cover like most of the segments right because it's like really low entry uh, entry point for them so that's also how you can plan and i would say it's like you know that's why live ops is fascinating because there's so many things right and there's like i know it's just <laughs> there's so many things that you can do and so many things that you can plan and like you know these little tweaks that you can do to the game so yeah, I love it. And I feel like everything as you're outlining all those different ways to segment players and things like that, I feel like those are all things you could test and, you know, see what. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So something you said that stuck out to me, you know, before you can really get into live ops, you need the tools. So what kind of tools would you need, let's say at a minimum to be able to do live ops? I would say at the minimum, right? So you need to like control uh, what's going on in the game, right? So for example, if you want to add the new content, right? So you need to have a tool to do that, right? Or for example, if you want to start like a new offer, how are you going to do that? How players will see it in the game, right? So what's going to be this like programming tool, right? To, to put this or to add the images to the game, right? Or something like that. And so, yeah, basically you you start from there and kind of like spec out the major activities that you, you want your players to do. For example, you know, if you want your players to log in daily, right? So you need to have this mechanism, right? That event would grant players event uh, like um, rewards on daily basis, right? And so basically here's your like, okay, one of the requirements, right? So I want the tool to program the event that would grant, <laughs> you know, <laughs> players this, uh, these things. And so, for example, right now we always um, improve, you know, the tools that we're working with because we see some loopholes and we see some, okay, so maybe I want um, like the pop-up, right, to be something different. Maybe I want mm -hmm. like the text to be distributed something differently, right? Or maybe I want to make sure that, you know, uh, I, I don't like it in this place, right? I want this event 
to I want to be able to put this event somewhere else, right? So for example, to like a different window. And so your tool need to need to be able or need to give you this chance to <laughs> to program it like that. So I would say, yeah, like first uh, spec out what you want your players do on a daily basis. Right. So, um, you know, it's whether like both engagement and both monetization, for example. Right. So what offers you want them to do? And that's going to be your first thing of like uh, for, to, to make a spec for the tool. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Do you see the, the best tools just kind of be built in house, kind of custom for the game or reused across companies? Or have you come across any like commercial tools that are, you know, useful and, and good and get you to where you need to be? I would say I've seen um, all these options, you know, and they all they all have their own like pros and cons, right? So, and also it depends on the size of the game. So, let's say if you are um, a small company and you know you're probably your live ops is pretty uh, simple, you know, just like running the events or like doing the offers. So you can, I think, go to like um, platforms that offer the tools like that, right? And just utilize those. If let's say you already have like a several uh, games, right? Um, that you um, you kind of have the similar events or something like that, right? So for example, like casual games, they mostly do like same or like uh, almost like similar types of events, mm -hmm. right? And so you can use probably like uh, one tool for all these games, right? Just maybe like different, um, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like different tabs for them, right? <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, like let's say if you're a big company, right? And you have this ability to build a big in-house tool that would operate different uh, titles. Why not? So you can also do that. And so, you know, or you can have one tool for your individual game depending on your budget as well so it's like really case by case basis so mm. and really depends on the scale of your game i would say yeah cool yeah. what do you think are the the biggest problems with the tools that are out there whether in-house or platform like what what takes the most time or what's the biggest irritant what's the biggest need from a tool perspective maybe put another way I would say um, probably like implement the changes uh, fast enough. Let's say, you know, if you see something like, okay, I want this new task, right, um, to be, or like I want this new feature to be in the tool. And sometimes, you know, it takes time to develop it as a feature. So I would say um, I wish, you know, the things that we want to like add uh, to the tool could be implemented much faster, right? So for example, okay, I want to do it. I made a spec, right? And next week it's there, boom, right? <laughs> so sometimes it's not like that. Sometimes you actually have to like plan ahead when mm. these things will happen because it's also the tool itself is like a living mechanism as much as the game. Yeah. yeah. So it's almost like the tool is connected to the game, at least from like the data model perspective. And so you have to take the time to implement the data model in order for this new event or feature yeah. to be able to control by the tool. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, like that. Yeah. And also, you know, basically like everything, um, you know, your tool is not only connected to the game, right? But it's also connected to your like analytics, right? Because all the analytics that you're going to get will not come from the, I mean, it will come <laughs> yeah. from the game, but all the data about the event, what happened there, right? Will come from your tool as well. So this is also this like uh, connections, the same as we're talking to loop, <laughs> right? So here we go. <laughs> Here's another loop. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. If you'd known everything that you know now, what would you have done differently when you started in games? I think 
if I knew how much I would enjoy it, I would start much earlier, you know? <laughs> uh, yeah, I wouldn't spend so much time on like you know, other <laughs> industries. <laughs> I would just go straight to games, yeah. But um, I think everything happens for a reason, you know, and probably, you know, that experience that I got in like other businesses, right? So it's actually pretty useful right now because, you know, like working with other uh, non-material uh, projects, you know, and like products, right? It's actually quite useful as a product manager right now as well. So awesome. Yeah. What is your big dream for your career? Like what trace do you want to leave on the world? Um, I honestly see myself, you know, growing, um, as the, you know, product manager and product director. Right. And who knows, maybe one day like writing something myself, <laughs> whether it's like live ops related or, you know, like whether it's just like another, you know, gaming company or services company. So I think right now the world, it provides so many opportunities, you know, it's just like, uh, just need to see what are those and kind of like, uh, you know, see what way you can develop yourself. But as for me, I would say, you know, I always like to study. So I always like to, you know, uh, learn something new. So that's why I would say uh, it's never, it's never enough. And I kind of like feel that the biggest dream I have is just, you know, it's like um, to know as much as possible. I would say like that, you know, <laughs> and yeah. implement it, of course. And then, yeah, like grow professionally. So, yeah, yeah, that's great. You know, speaking of learning, something I often like to ask people and share as well. Um, I'm a very avid reader of books, podcasts, well, not really podcasts, I guess, but, you know, any anything that's out there, blogs, I guess you could say. Um, but what's one recommendation you'd give to product managers or aspiring product managers? Managers, um, in terms of like, oh, you should read this book or you should follow this writer or blog or whatnot. Mm, yeah, I would say I also like read a lot. <laughs> I try to. <laughs> Um, and so, you know, I kind of like, uh, recently I started to read about books about the artificial intelligence. And so that's kind of interesting. And it's also blows my mind how, you know, the robots actually are developing and how they will change also even the gaming industry, you know, because like literally, you know, you probably won't even need to have like a community service or something, right. Or customer service. So, yeah. <laughs> so you know, AI will do it for you. And so, um, I kind of like from the latest books that I read, so I would recommend the Big Nine by Amy Webb. So that's about the artificial intelligence. That's That was kind of cool. And then also I'm reading books in Russian as well. So if you know, like uh, Andrei Kurpatov with his like <laughs> fourth generation. So that's also kind of like a really cool book. And it's also explained how your brain operates, you know, so some like triggers in the brain that actually cause like different things. I've been always a big fan of uh, Nir Yal. So I hope I pronounce his name right, but uh, he's, you know, Know, the book hooked that's like i think it's the mm -hmm. most for product managers right and then um yeah. his, his latest book like indestructible was also quite good um mm. it kind of like made me realize how much i depend on this smartwatch <laughs> like, <laughs> like closing the loops every day <laughs> you know that's also gamification basically right and then um yeah like from i would say books that inspire me i also read um the disney ceo robert Iger. so his memoirs that was a really cool book for managers i think because it's like how you cope with different things um and i think in general you know like always 
try to find books related to your subject, right? So like, you know, whether you're a product management, probably read something about like giving the feedback, right? Or like communication or like how to work with your subordinates even, right? So that uh, you're not micromanaged, <laughs> but at the same time, you know, just like uh, you you build a team. So that's that's important. And then from, uh, from the podcast, right? So I've actually, yeah, I was uh, recently, I was listening to uh, your podcast, you know, trying to also like, get the idea of how it's going to go. So I think I definitely can recommend this one it's good uh, and um, i'm honored to be here today too and then um i actually listened to game refinery um they have mm. a very good yeah very good podcast and then there is one it's unfortunately in russian it's called product sense uh make sense podcast they do it on youtube as well and they invite different people from not only gaming sphere but also from like product managers and they talk a lot about like frameworks technologies and like all kinds of stuff like that um and like scrum you know so how also like how you build your team processes right and <laughs> like the board <laughs> like all that stuff so i think it's also important um to understand as the product manager right and um yeah in general you know try new stuff um play games um you know i i try to actually play new game every week at least for like you know maybe just a few i don't know a few, <laughs> few matches or something get the idea right or something like that and some some games really like uh hook me up so <laughs> <laughs> and then i can stop but uh, yeah play your own game of course because that's also important to understand what's going on um and experience it as a player you know so when you see actually okay this is something difficult, right? So I can do it probably like, yeah, it's going to be like also quite um, um, difficult for other people to do that. So, yeah. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah. Well, one last question, which is my favorite question because we are on mastering retention. What's one tip or trick uh, that you've found that people can use to boost retention? Uh, honestly, too, I think the most important is to provide um something to players that resigns to their interest, you know, and that's when we're talking about, um, you know, player segments or something, right? So I think make sure that your game has everything for everyone at some point, you know, and that it can like really be interesting to like every, like, I mean, not all the people, right. But at the same time, you, you know, you're like, you know, core segments, right. So they always find something interesting to do. Uh, if you can do, you know, something like, you know, personalized offers that can also work for your game, because this is something that, again, that we're talking that would resonate to like what people need. Right. Yeah. Um, and I also believe that, um, it's the same for like the market, right? When we look at the market, there is always like, if there is a demand, right? There is the offer. So look at what is the demand and provide mm -hmm. the offer. So. I love that. That's fantastic. Yeah. Almost like using adjacent user theory. If you've ever seen the, the Instagram posts on how, yeah. you know, they scaled yeah. um, very interesting stuff. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this has been so great. I feel like I've learned a lot. I had a lot of fun. Um, really Same appreciate here. you being on the podcast and I hope we can have you on again sometime soon. Thanks. Thanks for inviting. It was a pleasure too. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.